Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we welcome independent animation legend Bill Plimpton. Hello again, friends. Ben Mitchell here, talking animation with Steve Henderson. How's it going, Steve? I'm all right, Ben. How are you? I'm very well. All bank holidayed out. Mmm. Nice and relaxing. In the sun. The, the small handful of sun that we got instantly burned me. So I'm kind of sitting here, all crispy. Nice. I, I thought I could hear some crinkling noises in the background. Hmm. I'm actually quite happy at the moment. I have a bit of spare time until work begins again uh, when I come back from Annecy. So I'm uh, embarking on a new film. Ooh. I think because of uh, eventually, you know, with the last film kind of getting a bit of momentum and talking to more people about it and the, their sort of response to it. It's broken a bit of a dam, I think. Well, that's always good. So anyway, yes, I'm making a, a new film that involves sunburn at, uh, at one point. So I've kind of done some like first-hand research just to remind myself. You're a method animator. Animation news, though. Uh, not to do with me. Let's, uh, let's steer it back to the proper stuff. What, uh, what new developments in the fortnight or so since the last episode? What has animation sprung at us? Well, we've been having trailers sprung at us left, right and centre. Um, the, sort of the, the most immediate ones come to mind is probably the, uh, the new Finding Dory trailer. Mm-hmm. You seen this one, Ben? Yes, indeed. And, and the social media enthusiasm. Could a same-sex couple be present in this film? Yeah, all right. So that one—that's people get very excited about that, aren't they? The issue I kind of have with this isn't anything remotely to do with the idea of there being a same-sex couple. It's that that would be exciting in 2016. It's almost embarrassing to me mm. that it's taken this long for that, to, and that it would be considered progressive. That should have been something like happening 20 years ago. Mm. I think it says a lot, a lot more that the fact that it's been, uh, it's lauded the right word. The fact that it's been, you know, been very much uh, uh, on the, a topic of of conversation. But I've seen no negative anti Pixar's putting uh, same sex couples in their films uh, at all. I mean, have you seen any of this? No, I'm sure it exists somewhere. You know, I know that there are people who. Uh you know, in, in very sort of prominent positions in news media outlets do take issue with that kind of thing. That's also quite embarrassing. I'm glad that it's an overall positive response. But at the same time, the level of enthusiasm for something that should just be at this point in proceedings, I'm just surprised that eyelids are even being battered at it, mm. you know? I'm sorry, I'm a little bit way late, Ben, because I think I've hit the mother load. Uh, in searching for this kind of this fury, I've 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 hit upon the Daily Mail website. Oh, there we go. <laughs> reported on this, uh, and somebody's saying that if rumours are right that Disney Pixar are introducing a lesbian couple in their film, then I'm boycotting Disney. Uh, well, the, the Daily Mail always delivers. I won't see it or take my grandchildren to it. Less dollar, dollar, dollar for Disney. <laughs> it's scary. The Daily Mail website. A comment like that is being upvoted more than it's been downvoted by, like, you know, 1,200 votes. Yeah. That's that's pretty kind of terrifying. The world which we live in, that's a thing. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that. I'm, I'm sad. I'm sad, Ben. 
It's insane. Oh, this is what animated family film shows a normal loving couple who happen to be of the same sex. The right wing collectively lose their tiny little minds and complain once more about PC Gone Mad. That is downvoted by four times the number of people who upvoted it. Yeah. Referring back to my initial sort of issue of, you know, finding the whole thing cringy and shouldn't we be more evolved than this? This is the Daily Mail's rebuttal to my presumption <laughs> and my own whinging. It was like, of course not, Mr. Mitchell. Let us show you. <laughs> Let us show you this, this wonderful side of humanity and remind us all that we all f***ing deserve to doom ourselves. <laughs> Bloody people, Ben. People aside, what did you actually think to the actual trailer? It's a film. <laughs> well, you're not wrong there. Just the absence of like negative anything toward it, I guess, is a positive. But I'm mm. not that you know. I'm not that moved either way. I'm sure it will be funny, um, even if it wasn't necessarily necessary. You know, I mean, there was no reason that for them to make a monsters ink prequel but they did and there was nothing objectionable about it it was quite funny but it mm. didn't i don't think it contributed to the landscape of cinema it's less and less the side of animated cinema and feature films that i am that enthusiastic about especially yeah. now when it's you know so much about the animated sequels it's like okay we had this very progressive period of uh, animated cinema where we're telling all these amazing stories uh now let's do them all again but to bring all those characters back again, and in some cases, you know, for the third or fourth time. It's kind of like when a band gets back together, isn't it? It's that kind of, you know, mm. there's a little bit of apprehension, you know. Oh, madness have got back together again. <laughs> they're never, they're never going to do another baggy trousers, are they? It's, it's, it's the type of band that never really was able to escape that one bubble of massive, massive, like, fame they had. Every like if Madness did do that and they like it was like our second house. <laughs> what was that guy who who was the one who did the twist? Chubby Checker. Yeah, and then it was like and let's twist again. Let's <laughs> twist one more time. Run a new fucking song. <laughs> but I'm sure this will uh, this will be a more satisfying uh, venture. And, you know, I, I I like Helen. There, I said it. Not enough to watch a whole episode, but I've watched entire segments of her show on YouTube when she has a good guest, and she's charming. Yeah. And she's really been gunning for this one, hasn't she? You know, she said, you know, well, the, all, the other, all the other animated films, they're all getting um, sequels. Where's my sequel? One thing I hadn't expected, I think I'd read something that... Because I saw this trailer a couple of days ago, and I, if I remember right, she actually does get captured in much the same way that uh, Young Nemo does in... Finding Nemo. Mm. And I had read something a few months ago that suggested that actually the uh, the name Finding Dory was actually a sort of more conceptually abstract premise. Mm. But it wasn't so much that she was literally captured and they're looking for her, but it was more like she's like finding herself. Mm -hmm. Which I suppose is perhaps an element of, of this film. But I didn't realize it was also still the same literal premise of her being kidnapped and she's being looked for as well. Yeah. Another Pixar journey film. We're not we're not seeing one of them in a while, have we? I mean, if it was Finding Nemo 2, like, he's lost again. Mm. This way, you know, people were expecting, okay, this is going to be focused on another character and probably, for many people, the favourite character of, uh, of Finding Nemo. Um, so to an extent, people kind of knew what to expect. And the biggest letdown ever, in many respects, when I was a kid, uh, knowing the name of a sequel before ever seeing it or seeing any footage from it... Mm. Uh, Honey, I blew up the baby. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? 
Because I remember in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, there's a bit where he he's experimenting with his thing, and he actually blows up, like, things he's testing it on. The apple. And I was so hoping that Disney were going to make this movie <laughs> where he just blew up his kid. <laughs> Uh, the ensuing litigation and social services ex- it's investigation. It's just now an of him scraping down. And he just you know, has all his equipment impounded and he's put in jail. As he should have, after basically nearly killing his kids in the first one. He Can we address that he was a f***ing terrible father? Yeah. Also, where was he living in, where there were scorpions in his back garden? Was it New Mexico? Yeah, it's an odd one. What's the scorpions in the garden? I'm sure there was, a, in Honey, I and the kids, they're fighting a scorpion, weren't they? I remember the ant. I remember Auntie. I can't remember the... Uh... Yeah, the ant gets... The, the ant tries to defend <laughs> Comes to their aid and the scorpion kills it. But the scorpion's, like, basically the same size as the ant. Yeah. Maybe it was an earwig. Maybe it wasn't a scorpion. If it was the same size as the ant. It's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about Finding Dory? I think it looks good. I think uh, if we go back to... Since we were talking about uh, uh, Monsters University there, is that... You no, did, Finding Dory. Well, no, you, you felt like you were in the same. <laughs> you felt like you were in the same world. Uh, but then, when you go back to watch Monsters Inc., you realise how dated the CG kind of looks. Hmm. And I think it's probably going to be the same watching Finding Dory. But when you watch the trailer, it is like you're there in this. Then the world of Finding Nemo is. I'm expecting it to be just as hyper realistic as the world of Finding Dory. The effects, the animation. Everything that's in it, you know, the bright, colourful world. But I know that if I went back, if I would go to my DVD shelf now and put on Finding Nemo, that I would probably see that the CG is a little bit dated and, 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 and such. But I think that's one of the major things about the film is that you're kind of welcomed back into the world and you're viewing the old film in hindsight and you're imagining it as being, you know, a whole lot better, a whole lot colourful, a lot more colourful, a lot more, a lot brighter and more sophisticated, perhaps, uh, style-wise, yeah. than, than it actually is. I think also, I think that disparity between the, the level of technical brilliance when it comes to the CG, that'll pervade for like five minutes. Mm. And then pretty once you're into the story, that, that goes away. Yeah. Because I, I do remember the first time I saw Monsters, Inc. after having seen Monsters University. And when I saw Monsters University, I hadn't, I'd only seen Monsters, Inc. once when it came out. So I'd forgotten an awful lot about the sort of character dynamics apart from like the the main two i had forgotten a lot about steve buscemi's character uh what his role was so a lot of the kind of like knowing jokes and monsters you about who he becomes Mm. i i could i vaguely got but i kind of needed to be reminded so you go back to monsters inc and it actually narratively flows very well like you could watch that as a sequel to Monsters University, if you were, it works, you know, both ways around. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you say, suddenly everything looks a little less textural, and the lighting's a little more artificial and stuff like that. But the quality of the animation is still pretty high. Toy Story One versus Toy Story Three or Toy Story Four—that's going to be huge. Yeah, I mean, Toy Story One does look pretty ropey now. It looks like a uh, what's it called a. Uh, a play blast. Yeah, but when you, when you watch it for like five minutes and you, you, you're back in the story, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. It is an interesting thing. It's like, especially when they make them so far apart, I guess, because Finding Nemo was, what, 2003, 2002? Uh, yeah, I can imagine there's people perhaps working on um, on the Finding Dory film, uh, you know, probably the younger members of the uh, the crew that probably watched it when they were younger as kids, you know, as the audience, the intended audience. It, it's odd to see Pixar... Um, because we, you know, 
Monsters, uh, well, Toy Story was, you know, let's see if we can make a feature film. Um, Monsters, Inc. was, let's see if we can make fur um, and basic human characters. And Finding Nemo was, a, was an excuse to see if they could, uh, you know, simulate water and, and things like that in films. So there was, a, there was an era in Pixar's kind of uh, back in the day when they used to, challenge themselves or challenge you know they get their the render man software to to kind of challenge the uh, the story would challenge the art the art would challenge the story or whatever it is that john lasseter always says and i don't think i don't know if if pixar actually do that anymore no uh i i, I couldn't tell you well there you go then that was a brick wall yeah <laughs> <laughs> i could look it up if you like ah uh, no nah, don't worry about it so finding dory trailers out uh and uh another sort of talking animal trailers out as well ben have you seen the trailer to sing i have not oh then perhaps you should so i'm going in blind the world of uh sing now this is coming out after pets right it is yeah it's by the same people it's by illuminations if you couldn't tell they're the people who do the minions okay so cutesy koala so it's animals acting all human-like it is. Uh, to be honest, you could interchange some of these shots with shots from The Secret Life of Pets, and I would say it was from the same film. Hmm. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a bit of that, isn't there? Okay. There's a there's a there's a warm glow to both films, isn't there? That that seems to be apparent in both of them. Hmm. This koala seems really familiar. It's uh, Matthew McConaughey. Okay. Well, <laughs> that um, that looks very musical. Yeah. Yep. Does I I kind of like the I like the look of it. I mean, I'm I'm a bit, I'm becoming a, a major fan of Illumination, not just because the base the the character design of grew on me. Um, the you know their their works uh, I, I quite enjoy the designs and things like that. You've been an outspoken uh, fan of the Minions for many years. <laughs> well, less said about then maybe the better. I'm not. <laughs> I think that's that's the kind of a little issue that I have with them is the way that they're. They're kind of used. They fell into that trap uh, that some um, filmmakers do fall into, or, or well, not the filmmakers themselves. Obviously, it's the the people uh, who make the merchandise and the you know distribution, etc. Where there's a slight success of something, and so you can't get enough of them. You know, all of a sudden they're absolutely everywhere, and so now you mean the trap of identifying something that has astronomical market value making the best use of it as possible and becoming billionaires. Yeah. That is yeah, the most yeah. nightmarish trap to be in. <laughs> I mean, imagine Get if me out of this. <laughs> imagine if you fell into it then. <laughs> I can't open the door. There's all these piles of cash. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, but yeah, I, I'm not a fan of... I'm not a fan of minions, so should we say it's... Uh, but the thing that's kind of getting me on, uh, on this film is the fact that it's just basically X Factor the movie, and I'm not... Never found the X Factor as something to aspire to, or you know that should be aspired to. Isn't it just a a competition of weirdos, and you're supposed to kind of laugh at them and then just ignore whoever wins? Yeah, and it wasn't the Postman Pat movie like X? Yeah. Oh my god! And I mean, so that obviously set the bar. So elimination (laughs) of a tough act to follow. They're missing robots out. That's what the Postman Pat movie had. How can they expect people to go and watch Sing when they haven't got robots in there? Postman Pat robots. What are they playing at, Ben? I like this uh, this lineup of top animation voice talent. Uh, Matthew <laughs> McConaughey, as you mentioned. Reese Witherspoon. What she can do with an animated character. Hoof, Madonna. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. 
John C. Riley, who I do like, but I don't think that he's known for his range necessarily. Tori Kelly, I have no idea who that is. Uh, oh, and of course, animation royalty Seth MacFarlane. Uh, doing what I'm sure will be a very, very unique and entirely unidentifiable voice. I'm sure when his character appears, people will go, who's that? <laughs> That's certainly not evocative of any familiar television characters. I'm f***ing hell. <laughs> that guy and his three voices, enough already. <laughs> oh, you know, they're also shown on film four a lot, f***ing Ted, every five minutes. Oh, no. So I've seen enough five-minute chunks of that film. To basically piece together. And I kind of resisted that film because I had this very cynical um, presumption that it might suck. Mm. So I never actually caught it on the, uh, on the cin- in the cinemas or on home media. Uh, but I have been catching little bits of it on TV. And uh, interestingly enough, you know what, uh, what struck me about it? Tell me. It sucks. <laughs> Whatever you pictured in your head about what that film was going to be, it's exactly it. We were talking before the podcast about films uh, that you don't really have to think about. And that is one of those films. I, I went to see it at the cinemas and went, watched it, left. And seconds after seeing it, I'd almost forgotten I'd seen it. You know, when you leave the cinema and you're thinking, oh, wow, well, what about those characters? What about this? What about the design? What about that? I mean, when I leave the cinemas after watching an animated film, I'm thinking, you know, forever about the way that it's been achieved or, you know, good bits, bad bits, you know, assessing it and all that kind of stuff. But with Ted, it was like, watch the film. And that was it. It's just bubblegum for the mind, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure this will be fine. I think maybe it's playing to a slightly different audience than something like Secret Life of Pets, mm. which looks, I know, just based on look, comparing the two trailers, Secret Life of Pets looks potentially a little more interesting story driven but this trailer for saying i mean it doesn't really to me i mean i've only made it like halfway through before i uh we started railing against it but <laughs> do they actually go into a story past the two minute mark yeah i don't know which one you watched but uh it seems to be the story of uh well all the characters but this this particular trailer focuses on the uh the young gorilla who uh who you know dreams of being a singer and then there's there's ones that focus on the pig that dreams of being a singer, and then all the wacky characters that... Are there a bunch of different trailers for different characters? No, I think the, the different trailers have focused on, and the latest one focuses on the gorilla character, who whose uh, father's a uh, bank robber or something like that, and there you go. Yeah, this one's just sort of going through all of them. This came out on the 24th. Yeah, I think overall I'll spend more energy on the uh, Secret Life of Pets for now. Yeah, I am looking forward to that one. Which uh, I believe will be premiering at the Annecy Festival uh, mm. in a couple of weeks. If I'm not mistaken, I think we will have the director in the next episode. So uh, oh. more on The Secret Life of Pets coming shortly. Fantastic. There you go. Bit of a tease of our own. Oh, yeah, I colour me teased. Speaking of Annecy, Ben, uh, mm. and speaking of teasers and trailers, uh, have you seen the teaser for Chuck Steele? Yes, I believe I shared it. Because some friends of mine worked on it, but I don't think I ever actually watched it yet. It's on my to-do list. Mm. Does it live up to the uh, legacy of Raging Balls of Steel Justice? It does that. that we were both rather enamoured of. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of, of Raging Balls Steel Justice. I'm a big fan of, of uh, the way that Mike's got this film made. You know, And the film itself does look great. He's a guy who's, who's very invested in... Uh, the film that he's making and is invested in the world of adrenaline-fueled 1980s uh, larger-than-life characters, and he's stuck it all together in this 
this film, and it, it looks it looks like a good laugh. Do you want to you give it a quick view, Ben, and let us know what I'm, you think? I'm viewing it presently, as expected, encapsulates the best of that type of genre film. The animation looks uh, super smooth as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, they've really uh, they've hit upon something mm. pretty special. Um, this studio, kudos. It, it it is kind of harking back to uh, as stop motion becomes about rapid prototyping, or it becomes about you know integrating CG and things like that. This does look like I know, I know personally speaking to some of the animators, there is actually sculpted. There's no replacements or any of that kind of stuff. It's, hmm. It seems like a hell of a lot of work, and to make a feature film on it. That's, I mean, who's the last person to do that kind of thing without using replacement mouths and such? Probably like Will Vinton, isn't it? Tremendous. In a sort of similar vein, uh, I guess that could sort of bring us to uh, this episode's guest, who we had on the podcast about a year and a bit ago last time. He's been on a few times. Indie legend, Bill Plimpton. Yeah, we're on the repeats now. Yeah, I think this is his third or fourth podcast appearance. He's uh, got a couple of films out. Uh, or about to come out. Uh, one in the very near future. It's going to be out, I think, uh, in a couple of days from the day of this podcast going up. It's a mockumentary called Hitler's Folly, which we'll go back to. And the other one he was talking about when he uh, was on the podcast last, it's a collaboration film with a guy called Jim Luhan called Revengeance. It's sort of in a similar vein to uh, how Chuck Steele kind of embraces the machismo and the alpha maledom and uh, film genre action-driven Tarantino-y vibe slash action movie slash almost a film noir quality, but a lot of violence and uh, that kind of good stuff. Mm. Something that obviously is something that we see to varying degrees in Bill Plimpton's own work. This is a story by Jim Luhan and Bill Plimpton came across this particular animator. They've just been working on this film together. It's the Bill Plimpton way. It's like, oh, I could make a film. Yeah, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> sort of putting us all to shame. Like, I feel f***ing happy if I make something that's three minutes long. Like, woo! Result! And when you've made your three-minute-long film, Bill Plimpton turns up with two trailers for two feature films that he's made by himself. <laughs> <laughs> they both look very interesting because they're both quite different, uh, these new films. Uh, the last couple of films he did, uh, Cheatin' and Idiots and Angels, had to me a rather similar vibe. They were largely silent films, very art driven. Um, the two films proceeding were, you know, very dialogue driven films. But I think definitely he's been experimenting more and more with different approaches to filmmaking. I think that's always, you know, the mark of uh, a really good animator is someone who just doesn't lock themselves in to one style for too long. So, for example, he did Idiots and Angels as kind of an experiment, I think, in in whether a feature length silent animation would sustain itself and then i guess having sort of learned whatever lessons he learned while making idiots and angels embarked on cheating hmm. and i think you know i like them both i think cheating is probably the better film personally i think they're both strong but you know rather than just make a, another mostly silent film his two new films one is this mixed media mockumentary film and the other is a film that embraces the overall art style and sense of humor of a kindred spirit but certainly not his own idea and so I think that that's uh, it's going to make for an interesting end product. Mm. It seems like a lot of fun. Uh, but the first one to come out, which will come out uh, streaming, uh, I'm assured internationally, one hopes, but certainly definitely in the States. And it's called Hitler's Folly. Mm. And this came from uh, Bill Plimpton's discovery, as he'll elaborate on in a few minutes, that Adolf Hitler's favorite film was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And that kind of set this ball rolling of like, what if he'd pursued a different career path? Yeah. Uh, the, the wonderful world of animation. 
So, you know, it's this kind of in the vein of stuff like The Producers or Dr. Strangelove or things that kind of really embrace the inherent ludicrousness of that degree of sociopathy. What would happen if this guy basically sort of modeled himself after someone like Walt Disney? Yeah. And so it looks interesting. The trailer is kind of odd. It's sort of mysterious. Like, it doesn't really elaborate on how the film will be structured, exactly what the approach is. But we, again, Bill will uh, will discuss that in a minute. Um so yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting thing to sort of see the end result. There's a director cameo one minute into the trailer. If you want to, yeah, <laughs> take a take a peek at it. It's, uh, <laughs> a cheeky little uh, nod and a wink there from uh, Bill in the trailer. He likes to kind of show up in. Pro- I I quite like that about it. like he did um, a little cameo in uh, there was a documentary made about him a few years ago, mm. um, and he plays the critic that hates Bill Plimpton. Yeah. That was very funny. Well, it's 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 not um it's not a sort of a far fetched idea as Bill kind of makes it out this whole Adolf Hitler Nazi thing. And I've uh, I've had a little look in the history books. Whether uh, there was ben. an Adolf Hitler Nazi connection? No, that isn't that far fetched. The, the Adolf Hitler Disney thing, Ben. <laughs> I think it's pretty well documented that it was a Nazi. He had problems with certain people. Uh, the history book I'm looking at in particular is uh, Animation World History by uh, Gian Alberto. Uh, Bendazi Volume 1 and he talks about Nazi Germany and animation there's quite a, a, there's a dedicated portion of the book uh, to this and I'm not going to read the whole thing out then but there's a, there's a letter here from um, uh, from the Minister of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda a guy you may have heard of Joseph Goebbels who wrote in his diary I'll present the Fuhrer 12 Mickey Mouse movies for Christmas he'll be very pleased and happy about this treasure so we know that that Hitler was a massive fan of of Disney's cartoons. It's, it's like Disney don't want people to know that very much. No, it's kind of like do me a favor, Cheswick, stay off my side. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bill turns up with a film like this. <laughs> it does look it does look like an intriguing view. And yet, still, even a, a very small handful of of people have found it a little like offensive. Which uh, again, we will talk a little bit about. I find that quite surprising. I mean, Hitler is like a comedy character now. Mm. I mean, the real guy, obviously, is a, such a pure manifestation of evil that the best fate for him is to become this figure of ridicule. You know, that's a more fitting legacy than someone whose name still um, inspires fear and dread and terror. The ultimate thing that he deserves is to be considered a f- cartoon. Yeah, or worse still, inspiration. You know, that's that's the, the other side of things. So thank God people are taking the mickey out of him so, you know, so enthusiastically. Yeah, and it's good to be reminded of that, you know, with, uh, let's say, <clears throat> certain presidential campaigns that are happening at the moment and people being suckered into the artifice of someone who's down with the people in their best interests. Mm. It's it's quite good to, you know, remember what once was, but at the same time, you know, embrace the ridiculousness of it. Yeah. Something to bear in mind. Anyway, uh, Hitler's Folly will be uh, available for free to pretty much anyone who's able to stream it, basically because a lot of the footage, as he elaborates, is footage he doesn't own, so he wouldn't really be able to distribute it without, I imagine, a very lengthy process of securing rights to footage some of which i think is actually you know images of disney which will be quite hard to probably get his hands on <laughs> especially if you turn it with the pitch yeah <laughs> should we hear from bill plimpton yes let's do, let's let's do that here is bill plimpton on hitler's folly and uh, revengeance 
So yeah, Hitler's Folly, it's, it's soon to be released in... Uh, is it just going to be in the States in, as far as streaming? Or? Well, here's the, here's the story. Um, it's going to have a world premiere at the SVA Cinema on June 1st. Uh, it's a 600-seat cinema. And then three days later, I will release it online. Uh, and I'll tell you why I'm doing this. is Because uh, the uh, subject matter is a bit provocative. And I just don't think uh, we can get uh, movie cinemas to show the film. Uh, they may be afraid of, for whatever reason. So uh, also, the film has a lot of copyrighted material in it. All documentaries from World War II, you know, World War II footage, pictures of Walt Disney, uh, pictures of Mickey Mouse, a lot of music that we didn't have the time or the money to, to clear the rights to. So we decided to release the film free online and if people like it and they want to keep supporting my my studio they can send in 20 bucks or whatever and that'll be their basically uh, the payment to watch the film sure. but it's fr it's free so they can watch it anyway but mm -hmm. we'll see if people are good-hearted and, and want to support my uh, my work excellent it sort of puts me in mind a little of uh, Nina Paley's film yeah, like. yeah, I'm, f I'm following Nina Paley's model actually, and mm. the film is cost about twenty thousand dollars to make. So uh, if I would have had to get a copyright lawyer and to go through all the pictures and all the uh, music, it would have cost me another twenty thousand yeah. dollars. And I just don't didn't have that kind of money to 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 put into it. So I just decided to let it go for free, and hopefully people will support me uh, through their kind heart. Uh, well, I guess this this ranks pretty highly in the uh, sort of top weirdest questions I've ever asked, but uh, why Hitler? <laughs> I was reading an article um, a number of years ago about Hitler, and uh, I'm fascinated by Hitler and, and World War II. I think World War II was a really a great drama, as I'm sure you, you feel the same way. And um, he was a big fan of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And to that image of Hitler laughing at, at the, the seven dwarfs is just such a surreal idea, surreal concept. And then I got to thinking, well, he was an artist and he, he did um, draw cartoons. In fact, we found a, an image of uh, one of the elves that he drew. I forget which one it was. He actually did a drawing of one of the elves. I don't know if he sent it to Disney or not. But I just thought that was a perfect for a, a mockumentary about Hitler, an alternative world where instead of becoming the dictator of Germany, he actually became the, uh, a cartoonist. Mm -hmm. And so this relates to a number of, uh, of issues and ideas and concepts that are, I think are relevant today, such as the fact that a lot of games studios and even animation studios are, are sweatshops. They're almost slave labor. They work very long hours. Uh, it's not air-conditioned. Uh, they don't get overtime. And it is very similar to a concentration camp. Also, the whole concept of releasing a movie uh, uh, is, is like a war plan. I mean, you really have to marshal your forces and get you know finance all this and you gotta take over territories and you gotta be dominant territories and there's a lot of similarities between distribution of movies and and military campaigns so there's a lot of interesting ideas like that that pop up throughout the film Excellent. and Hitler I think even sort of during wartime has sort of long been a subject of lampoon 
And uh, well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I am concerned that some people who are really serious and politically correct mm -hmm. might take offense to it. But we tell everybody. Uh, if you're uh, if you don't have a sense of humor, I don't think you really need, want to see this film. Mm. So hopefully that'll keep the uh, politically correct people out of the out of the cinema. Yeah, I think when last we we spoke, it was right when you were starting on it, and you mentioned I think that some people who were actually in studio had left. Yeah, we had we had three workers who uh, refused to work on the, on the film, and you know it's interesting because whenever I hire somebody, I ask them. Point blank, you know, this is not children's animation. Yeah. Uh, my films are very provocative, uh, somewhat, um, you know, crazy and, and surreal and violent and sexy. And they said they were fine with it. But obviously they weren't fine with this this film. You know what, it was okay because they, I think it was time for them to move on. They wanted to go to more established studios and make a lot more money, which I, I totally understand and I totally support that. It's interesting that I guess it could still be a sore subject even in this kind of era now. When you sort of see like on social media like there was that scene from Downfall that was, you know, yes. subtitled and resubtitled and you know, Inglorious Bastards yeah. um just yeah. completely rewriting history. Yeah. You know, it's it is interesting to see that it's it's still a, a subject that maybe has some impact and can maybe ruffle some feathers. But uh, so yeah, ultimately, I guess the film is a mix of animation and like archival footage, as you were saying. What sort of ratio? Yeah, uh, about a third of it is either still photographs or archival photographs of World War II. A third is live actors that I hired. One of them was a Hitler um, look-alike. <laughs> and one of them was um, Dana Ashbrook, who was in Twin Peaks. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, yeah. And then, Yeah, wow, you know your stuff. And then Michael Sullivan, who I don't know if you know him, but he was uh, in a uh, Robert Downey film called Greaser's Palace. And he's sort of a cult cult figure, but he's, uh, he's, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, we, we put him in the film, too. And the last part is me recreating Hitler's cartoons, which were drawings he did as a kid, gag cartoons for magazines, and then some animation that he did for, uh, for his uh, Plimtoon studio, his, his career. Plus, I did a, a schematic of Nazi land. I think I mentioned this to you last time I saw you. And it's a, uh, a huge uh, poster of uh, the planned Nazi land where kids can go on all these cool Nazi rides and you know that, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it, it, it does take a swipe at a lot of the... Um, amusement parks that we see in the US now you know not only just Disneyland but Universal City and all that uh, Universal um, Playland and places like that. So I guess as far as when you were constructing this um, the narrative and these concepts was the footage that you found did that have a role to play in the kind of story you were telling or was it more a case of you had the idea and you sort of sought out footage that would help to carry along. Yeah, I know I had the idea and I actually scripted it. Uh, it was actually much longer. It was uh, uh, almost two hours and then when I took it to the editor we cut out a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff I thought was very funny but it just didn't um, keep the story going. Actually I should say that, that Walt, uh, Walt Disney had Mickey Mouse and Hitler had Downey Duck. That's, that's his okay. sort of character that he, he <laughs> became famous for. So I had my producer dress up in a a large downy duck costume similar to the the little 
you know, the animals you see in the amusement parks. And then we uh, superimposed it on fo battle footage of World War II, the tanks going into battle. So we, we, the premise was that Hitler would dress up in this downy duck to bring happiness to all the soldiers and to all the people who are fighting the battle of World War II. And that was his, uh -huh. that was his piece for, uh, for happiness and, and joy uh, during, the, during the war. I mean, when you sort of think back to like the, the first films that you made, like the idea of making an independent feature when you first started doing it was really, really a lot harder, I guess, as far as yes. what was available to it. Yes. Would you say that this kind of film, would you have been able to make something like this back in the days of like the tune or? No, it would have been very hard. I would have had to go to the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. to get all this material. But now it's all pretty much free on the Internet. And uh, that made it so much easier, uh, easier to do. Yeah, it's interesting. My my earlier live action films were very expensive. Um, you know, like four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, and this one was was twenty thousand dollars. And it's all because of the internet. All of this stuff is available on the internet, and that's why we're we're hoping that we don't get sued because it is all. Uh, not all public domain, but a lot of it is public domain, and it's used throughout the internet. So we're hoping that we uh, we don't get uh, get in trouble for that. Mm. I mean, my knowledge of copyright law and it's 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 so purposefully vague mm, you know, yeah. as it's outlined. But I suppose for the purpose of like you're not profiting from it. I think they would have to put a lot of work into pursuing any kind of. Yeah, you know. I'm not going to get rich on this film, but I, I do think it's a it's a, a very amusing film. It's a very dark film. It's a satire, obviously, <laughs> and um, I, I I know that there's been a number of lawsuits in the U.S. where you can't get sued for parody, and so mm. I'm hopefully there will be no no problems with it. Do you expect it would ever play at certain festivals, like festivals that would perhaps have a kind of niche category for it? Yeah, there's a couple of mockumentary festivals, and we we uh -huh. we hope that it plays there. Um, we would like to, but that's not. It's this isn't a festival kind of film. It's pretty much just an internet kind of film, and and you know, there's this famous uh, example of um, uh, C.K. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Louis C.K. Louis C.K. Thank you doing a concert and uh, he did the same thing where you voluntarily gave money to to watch the film and apparently he did very well on something like over a million dollars so the, this isn't the first time this has been done and it, the, uh, I think Louis really sort of pioneered that concept and, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, to use it. When it is streaming is it going to be accessible from like the UK and Europe, or is it just going to be the States to begin with? Um, it's 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 international. I I, I I can't imagine why we would restrict it to the U.S. Um, I want everybody to see it. We are thinking of putting it on to Vimeo and also YouTube, because I know they um, they show a lot of stuff that has copyrighted material in there, and, and unless there's a big problem, then they 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 will take it down. A couple of recent projects that you've been working on since we uh, we had you on last. Mm -hmm. I caught uh, the loneliest stoplight. Yes, at uh, Stuttgart last night. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm glad you yeah. saw that. Yeah, I love Stuttgart. I was wa hoping to come, but I had some uh, speaking uh, engagements that I I couldn't break, so I I had to pass on Stuttgart. But I will probably be there next year with my new film, Revengeance, because uh, we're mm -hmm. just finishing up. The next two months, uh, two weeks, we should have it finished. So we're 
looking forward to uh, doing a lot of festival coverage uh, next year. Excellent. Yeah, that was my, because uh, again, we were chatting a little bit about that. How has that gone in general? Excellent. Uh, the, the, the people who've seen it are really excited about it. It's a very strong story. It's written by Jim Lujan, L-U-J-A-N. And uh, he's a wonderful storyteller, and his characters are, are, are really kind of Plimpton-esque. They're, they're real losers and evil and bad people and sleazy people, and that's the kind of characters I like to make films about. So we really have a nice uh, working relationship with this film, and um, it's as if I was a, a screenwriter and I wrote, wrote this story because they're, they're really fun characters. Jim did a lot on this film, and he deserves a lot of credit on the film. And uh, he wrote the story, he designed the characters, and he did the voices, uh, like 90% of the voices, plus he did the music. So there's a really large chunk of Lujan in this film. And then I basically set up my studio to produce the film. And I um, did all the animation, of course, and the color, or my studio did the coloring and the editing and, and put it all together, all the pieces together. So it really is a two-man operation, and I think that's pretty unique that, that two people can make a film uh, that, that's um, uh, an animated feature film like this. So we're, we're really optimistic that it'll become very popular and, and do, the, do very well on the festival circuit, and we're hoping that we can sell it to... Uh, you know, like Netflix or, or Amazon or someone like that, because we think it's perfect for their for their their catalogs, and that's that's our dreams with this film. Another thing that I, I was recently reminded of there was another global jam. That, yes, uh, this time is taking on your face. Yes, yes, I haven't seen it yet. I'm dying to see it. Uh, Ken uh, Mora is putting it together now, and he says it's it's coming along really well. So I'm, I I wish I could comment on it, but I haven't seen it yet. I think he's still working on the music, trying to get the music together. I imagine it's quite surreal sort of seeing your own work sort of reinterpreted and played back to you. Well, Guard Dog Global Jam was, was really wonderful to watch. It was yeah. a very big success, and it was uh, a, f a fun idea. And uh, so your face seems to be the next uh, obvious step to, <laughs> to global mm -hmm. animation. So we'll see. Cool. Will you be at Annecy this year? Uh, no, not this year. I, uh, slowly Stoplight didn't get in, uh, so I'm going to pass. And I think we're not going to have um, the Annecy Plus this year either because we lost our boat oh, yeah. just the last minute, so we don't have time to, to find something. But I'll definitely be there next year. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Revengeance will get in. If I do have a minute, can I just tell you the two, sure. two new projects we're working on? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm doing another uh, dog film. It's called Cop Dog. I think it's my sixth or seventh film. I'm not quite sure. And uh, it's called Cop Dog, and I'm doing the layouts right now. So hopefully that'll be done in, in two or three months. And then uh, I've hired Jim Lujan to do a script for my next feature. And it's about uh, this country western guitar player who sort of roams around and and it's sort of a mythical mythical character so there's gonna be a lot of really cool old 1940s 1950s country western music you know like Hank Williams and Patsy Cline and that's kind of music I really love uh, we're not going to use their music we're gonna have to re-record re it obviously but uh, I just love the the um the combination of old country western music and animation is just such a beautiful, a beautiful combination. Thank you to Bill Plimpton. Follow him at Plimptoons on Twitter. Plimptoons.com is his website. And keep your eyes open for Hitler's Folly and Revengeance. So, another podcast done and dusted.
Any closing comments? Closing comments? Well, I've had fun. I hope you've had fun as well, Ben. It's all full speed ahead now for Annecy, isn't it? Indeed. We will uh, We will be there. The full squiggly contingent for the first time, I think, in about three years. Mm. We've been so, we were sort of swapping for a little while. Tag teaming. The whole gang will be there this year. So come say hello, bother us. Peddler races, rounders games, all that good stuff. Probably some animation stuff happening as well. Perhaps. Alas, no Annecy Plus, as Bill mentioned there. Maybe next year. That is a shame. That's always been a nice uh, a nice capper to, to Annecy to see the other side of things. But I think uh, Spike and Mike are there, so they'll, the same uh, crazy animation fun will be happening somewhere in the festival. So, you know. Ah, good. Uh, while we're talking about festivals, uh, I just wanted to get in that the uh, Manchester Animation Festival is still accepting entries for its film competition until the 29th of July. And also the uh, Industry Excellence Awards. We want to give this bit a big push because we're after storyboard artists, writers uh, and character animators to submit their work. And uh, we're going to give them a special prize. Uh, it's about time this kind of thing got plugged at festivals. And, uh, and that's what we're doing this year at Manchester. So if you wish to learn more, visit manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk. And while you're procrastinating online, why not also visit squiggly.com for all our animation goodies. There's some great stuff up worth perusing, including a chat with Adventure Times lead actor Jeremy Sharder, the voice of Finn the Human. Also a video interview with Yob Rogovine and Joris Oprins, two-thirds of the Oscar-nominated Dutch studio Yob, Joris and Mariki. They did the wonderful films Mute, A Single Life and Otto. Friend of Squiggly, Danny Abrams, details her bank holiday weekend spent making a two-minute animation from scratch. And Laura Beth interviews NFTS alumni Kim Noche and Sean Clark about the work of their studio Mulab. Meanwhile, Steve Cav continues his 100 Greatest Animated Short series with a look at Lottie Reiniger's take on Cinderella from way back in 1922, and there's some info on the legendary Jan Svankmeyer's final feature film, Insects. And keep your eyes on the site for more insight from the man himself. You can also check out some upcoming Annecy events, some of the trailers we've been discussing in this episode, and much more. Keep up to speed by liking us at facebook.com slash squigglymagazine and following us on Twitter at squiggly. You can also follow myself at Ben L. Mitchell and Steve at Mr. Underscore S underscore Henderson, should you so desire. So, hope to see some of you at Annecy, and in the meantime, happy animating! <laughs>